This Feast of Christ the King is the fitting end to the liturgical year. Of course, we have one more week, but the liturgical year that we celebrate on Sundays anyway. Uh, It reminds us of the end of all things, when Christ will reign supreme, and he reigns as our king. And for us, especially as Americans, we might not fully understand what that means. Uh, After all, we are kind of a rebellious people, it was 250-some years ago almost. Uh, We threw off the shackles of a king, uh, and probably for, for, uh, he sounds like uh, King George was a little uh, disturbed and they had, well, just leave it at that. But uh, so because of that, many of us might not have an idea of what really uh, a king does. Because we have in our minds maybe the bad kings and queens, those who ruled with an iron fist, perhaps those who were uh, um, a little... uh, insane like King George or, or uh, um, warmongers or whatever it is. So we need first to have a proper understanding of what a good king is. And of course, we know like fathers, a model of kingship should come from God, not the other way around. So we look at God and his rule as model. And while he has dominion, he does not... Uh, dominate to the point of destruction. He dominates to bring peace and order to things. Jesus Christ is king. If we did a survey of the Old Testament and and, uh, the Old Testament cultures, we would be able to discern a few things about kings and especially how they are made. We hear uh, some kings are made in battle. So they they claim a, a territory and they become king or uh, empires were built this way of uh, just conquering and conquering and conquering. Think the Babylons who conquered uh, Judea and, and Israel and, and made them subject and then of course that all fell apart. And, uh, then the, the Greeks came in and then the Romans then the Byzantines and then the Ottomans. Empires being built and fallen by blood. Kings are made in the Old Testament uh, in Jewish law by bloodline. So David passes the kingship on to Solomon and Solomon to his son and on and on and on. But even then, every once in a while, brothers fight against each other to claim the throne. So back to battle. Sometimes kings are made by uh, marriage, that one king uh, marries uh, a woman of another kingdom and they become rulers of both kingdoms. Sometimes kings are made by popular demand. So in a way, uh, uh, at the very beginning, of course, Saul was made king because the people demanded a king. And of course, kings made by divine appointment. We know that Jesus is king by divine appointment because God the Father sent him to be in this world. And we know Jesus, too, comes to conquer sin and death. He comes to battle Satan himself, and because of that battle, because he won that battle and won the war, he is king of this world. Though, as we hear in today's gospel, not quite yet. Of course, this is before his crucifixion where that battle was waged finally and defeatedly, but Satan still is in the death throes. And because of his death on the cross, he weds heaven and earth. 
the way God intended from the very beginning that was destroyed by the original sin. But it's popular demand, popular acclaim, that's perhaps most important, and that's what we do today as we gather. We celebrate Christ as our King, our Lord. A few years ago, I was listening to a Catholic talk show, and it was a call-in program, and a woman was uh, moaning, and and, uh, not quite moaning, but uh, use that word, moaning and groaning, though, about uh, in all her years of Catholic education, and not once was she told that Jesus Christ is Lord and King, and I went, I almost hit the ditch. What do you mean, never told? We, We hear it every time we come to Mass, our prayers, Lord. And while we don't often, maybe in our, in our prayers, in our formal prayer, talk about Jesus as King, certainly we do at least once a year, don't we? It's so easy for us to miss. It's so easy for us to miss because I think uh, the church uses this, this term, and I've mentioned it before, but practical atheism, where we, we know there's a God, we profess there's a God, but we live as if there isn't. So in our practical life, it doesn't make any difference. And I'm convinced if more of us really took the task of living our faith out, no one would be able to say, well, gee, the church teaches Jesus Christ is king. I've never heard that. I've never seen that. I've never experienced that. There has to be a choice in our lives, though. St. Ignatius of Loyola has in his... uh, um, just jumped out of uh, uh, just jumped out of my spiritual exercises. It's been a long morning already, but uh, in the spiritual exercises gives a meditation called the two standards. The standard is the flag that would be carried into battle, and he's, he contends, and, and it's true. None of us can sit on the sidelines. None of us can be like Switzerland and just just say, "Well, no, this isn't our battle. We're not we're not involved." All of us have to make a choice. And the choice is between these two standards, the standard of Satan or the standard of Jesus Christ. And he gives this meditation as he invites the, the, the retreatant who's praying these spiritual exercises to reflect for a moment what hell will be like. Not only in the smells of sulfur and brimstone and, and the, the, uh, the, the, the death and all, all those things, and then how Satan rules from on high and dictates. And the demons and the evil souls rule with iron fists and are just cruel, mean. There is no love. It's only hate. But then there's the kingdom of Christ. Christ who walks among his people. Christ who brings peace and comfort. We're instructed we're invited to make a choice. Who do we choose? Do we choose Satan or do we choose God? And that might seem like a tough choice. And to make no choice is to make a choice against God, to be honest. Because there's this denigration that happens, uh, uh, disintegration that happens in our lives. If we're not consciously, uh, constantly and consciously working towards God, we're going to fall. We have to constantly grow, mature, choose God. Because our human nature, fallen as it is, 
is posed sometimes. So it's not enough just to say, well, I, I, I believe Jesus Christ is Lord. We have to prove it. And I, I find myself reflecting sometimes, if, if I were ever convicted of being Christian or Catholic, besides being a Catholic priest, what evidence would they find? What evidence would they bring? And that's a question I think all of us have to ask ourselves. What evidence is there? Last year on the Feast of Christ the King, we heard of the separation of the sheep and the goats and the, the, what you did for the least of these, you did for me. Do we do things for the least? Do we serve our brothers and sisters? Do we seek to comfort those who are uncomfortable? Do we seek to bring those who are lost into, back into the fold? And we might ask, and this is a DMA appeal weekend, which is always awkward, but we might ask, you know, if we took a look at how we spend our money, would that reflect our relationship with Jesus Christ? Or would it reflect a selfishness? Would it reflect a, a heart that understands that everything we have is a gift from God and we need to return to God a portion of what he has given us? We might ask ourselves, and, and uh, I know it might sound like crass commercialism uh, because we have the olive wood cellars downstairs this, this day, but if people walked into our houses, would they see religious articles, crucifixes, statues? Would they see a Bible? Would they see things that, that we used to remind ourselves to pray, remind ourselves to grow in faith? And we can decorate our houses all we want, but it's using those things as reminders to pray and to grow in holiness, to choose. We're given the choice every day of our life to choose God or to choose against God. And someday that choice will be affirmed. I find myself reflecting on Pilate and there's different traditions about what happened and some have suggested that because of his encounter with Jesus Christ that maybe he uh, converted his life and, and whatever. We don't have any proof of that. But I do know this from this passage that we have today, he's left with a question. Is he going to accept the kingship of Jesus Christ or not? I wish the text were able to, we were able to read the whole thing and especially the second interrogation because this interrogation ends with, Jesus, with Pilate asking, well, what is truth? He doesn't know truth when he's staring it in the face because Jesus Christ had already said in John's gospel, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And later on, he says, don't you know I have the power to free you? And Jesus reminds him who's really in charge. You would have no power unless it were given to you from God on high. Jesus Christ, even as he's going to his cross, is displaying his kingship, that he's in charge, that he's the one. And while they turned and jeered him and taunted him, scourged him, he loved he forgave because he knew, he knew he was king in all these ways, that he was about to wage battle against the king of this world and conquer him. He knew that he was going to wed heaven and earth, that he knew he was appointed by God the Father to do all of this, that he was in the line of King David. What he's missing 
as our choice of him as our king.